Welcome everyone to the Score Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Boone. Appreciate you riding along with us today. We're going to be spending the entire episode going through mailbag questions this week. And last week I did sneak in some start sit questions at the end of the show. I sort of did it like rapid fire style. I just want everybody to know I'm not going to be doing that every week, mainly because my ranking should be able to answer most of those start sit decisions for you. Or if you're trying to figure out who to pick up and who to drop, you have the waiver wire column on Mondays, you got my trade value charts on Wednesdays, and that's going to tell you exactly how I'm valuing every single player. And I put a lot of time into those, and the goal is that it'll help you with those choices. Plus, we got the Sunday Twitter takeover on the Scores main account. I'm going to continue to do that, and I will be answering those kind of questions over there on Sunday mornings. But for the mailbag shows, I want to at least try to hit on the bigger picture stuff and the things that kind of are going to impact a lot of people, not just a small handful of fantasy managers. So with that out of the way, let's get to your questions here. At Sammy underscore T, week one waivers were crazy. Puka Nakua went for 45% of FOB and Josh Kelly 25%. No one my league is aggressive on waivers. Going forward, how do you suggest referencing your suggested FOB but acknowledging the aggressiveness in my league? Thanks. So this is a great question, and I always say that you know your league's best, you know what the other managers are like, if you think somebody's going to be aggressive, if you really want that player and you know that aggressive manager's out there, then obviously you have to go above the amount that I'm going to recommend. So you're thinking the right way with it already. I will also say that I tend to be aggressive with waiver ads, and if anything, I'm normally the one that's overpaying for guys, but I didn't feel that strong this week about the waiver wire run, at least as some other people did. And I mentioned that on yesterday's show. I might turn out to be wrong about this and maybe Nakua and Kyron Williams and these guys are going to break out this year, but I see a lot of flaws in their outlooks for the rest of the season. I think that with the Rams offense, it's going to come back down to earth at some point soon, probably this week when they have to go up against the 49ers defense. And then you're going to get Cooper Cup returning at some point, assuming that he comes back this year, which I think right now we believe that he will be back at some point in the season. And that's going to lower the ceiling for someone like Nakua and maybe even make it tough to start him for fantasy. Cup is just a volume hog. And I know people can make the argument that they're going to play different positions and maybe Nakua could be more of that Robert Woods in the offense. Yes, that is all possible, but there's no way that Cooper Cup returning is not going to hurt Nakua's value and really prevent him from having these games like he had in week one, where he sees 15 targets and he catches 10 balls. Like, I think that is going to be his watermark on the year. And if you go out and you're paying up to get him in FOB, I think you're going to be overpaying a little bit based on the returns that you're going to get the rest of the season. And still, Nakua was my top ranked player in the waiver wire article this week. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like him or that I don't think he has a chance to produce. Like I said earlier in the week, he has a shot to be a wide receiver three, a good wide receiver three flex potentially the rest of the year. So he is somebody that I would go out and get just not somebody that I'm breaking the bank to have on my roster. And really, I just wasn't willing to make huge bids on any of the other guys, you know, talking about Kyron Williams and Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. They're all going to be in committees, in my opinion. And Kyron doesn't profile as a stud back, you know, even if he continues to operate as the lead guy. You have somebody like Kendrick Bourne on the Patriots, who sure, he's interesting, but we've seen a lot from him it's not star level play. So I'm not overreacting to one 64 yard game that he had in week one that also happened when Devonte Parker was out of the lineup. And I think that while all those guys are worthwhile ads this week, 
I just don't believe that they're going to swing your season. Josh Kelly maybe could. And if we knew that Austin Eckler was going to miss time, Josh Kelly, I probably would have put in a much bigger bid for him, but we don't even know if Eckler's going to miss this week or not. So if my recommended bids were low this week, that had something to do with it. I just want to qualify that for everybody. I want to save my fob money for guys that I think could be real difference makers in my lineups the rest of the season or over a short span when I really, really need them to step up for me. And maybe Nakua or one of the other guys becomes that, but I lean towards them being okay role players on your team, not really stars that are going to put you over the top. And as far as my advice and how to apply that with the waiver bids in your league, I don't have an exact equation for you. I just think that, you know, you have a good idea of what people normally bid, and there were probably a lot of bids that you can reference in your league this week, so you can just compare the type of players that went and what that bid was to the guys who are going to be available in the future. And if a potential wide receiver three with upside, like Nakua pops up, you know you're going to have to go 45% or more potentially to get them. Same with a backup running back who might get a start or two, somebody like Kelly, If there's another guy like that that comes around, he's going to be at least 25% in your league, right? So use that history to inform your decisions moving forward. And I promise you that when I fall in love with somebody on the waiver wire, you are going to know it. I will not hesitate to put up a 50% bid or more on guys who I think can be those season changers. At feisty underscore Fritos, is Lamar Jackson a sell high target given the offensive line injuries? Do you really think that you're going to be able to sell high on him after that week one performance? I'm not so sure that you're going to get good value coming off of that game. And I understand your concerns. I think it's valid. You know, left tackle Ronnie Stanley, center Tyler Linderbaum, they're both injured right now. We don't know what the timelines are for their return yet. The team also lost J.K. Dobbins, obviously, in that game. So it definitely hurts Lamar's outlook a bit. But I'm chalking up that first game to him getting comfortable in this new system Him dealing with those guys leaving throughout the game, that's not easy to kind of adjust on the fly. And also, we can't forget, he didn't have his top target out there, Mark Andrews, in that game. So it's going to get better. Those linemen are going to return eventually. For me, I wouldn't be trying to sell Lamar right now unless you have a really good backup. Maybe if you also drafted Anthony Richardson or something. If you do want to move off Lamar, though, you needed to have a better game in week one, I think, to get that sell high done. Because right now, his value is probably down just a little bit because of all the things that we're mentioning here. And I think it's rarely a good idea to sell low. And in this instance, for sure, I'm not selling low. So I'm holding Lamar if I'm you. At Jacob underscore solely. What are your thoughts on Zay Flowers' season-long output? Who are some big name receivers that you think may finish behind him by the end of the season? Well, you have to like what you saw in the debut. That's for sure. 10 targets, two carries, finishes with, what was it, 87 yards, I believe. But more importantly, he answered the question about who's going to lead that receiving core this year. It's going to be him. Odell Beckham, Rashad Bateman, they're going to have big games at some point. But Flowers had three times as many targets as them in week one. That's a clear sign to me that the team feels very strongly about his role there. And it makes sense. I mean, he's a first round pick this year. Somebody who got positive reports all summer long. Somebody who I've moved up now into the high-end wide receiver three range for the rest of the season, and that puts him in a tier around guys. You're asking about some of the the veteran stars that he could be near or could outproduce. You know, DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, Drake London. I could see Flowers outproducing all those guys this year, or at least having like comparable numbers to them. So right now, 
I'm debating actually starting him over Garrett Wilson this week. And it's just because, you know, Zach Wilson, that factor that he's going to be under center and the Cowboys defense being such a bad matchup. I think that it could be a down week for Garrett Wilson. If he can't find the end zone again, I'm not really sure how he's going to get it done because I just haven't seen it, right? Going back to last year, Zach Wilson has not been able to unlock that ceiling for Garrett Wilson. And if the Cowboys shut out the Giants, I mean... I feel like the Jets are going to have a very hard time finding the end zone this week. So Zach Wilson is a serious problem in that offense. We talked a bit about it on Wednesday's show with Bob Harris. I might go with Flowers over Garrett Wilson this week, just to just to give you an idea, I mean, of where I'm at on him right now. At Connor Shrills, do you generally find bench spots to be more valuable for solid players that could earn a flex spot depending on matchups or injuries? or flyers that aren't startable but have major upside with potential injuries or trades? Is there a balance you consider to be ideal? So again, this is a great strategy question, and it does come down to what your roster looks like after the draft because sometimes you need a couple of those solid players who could slide into those flex spots in a pinch like you're mentioning, but overall, my bench is just loaded with upside guys. I want to think long-term with it. I want to think about the ceilings if everything goes right for them. You know, which backup running back could win the starting job as the season goes along and might not need an injury. Or if there is an injury, you know, which back could explode if that starter goes down. So I have guys like Tajay Spears and Roshan Johnson and Sean Tucker. I mean, Josh Kelly, he was another one that fits that mold before everybody got onto him last weekend, but I'm shooting for ceiling. Normally that ends up being the backup running backs. At Oblivious XX, should you roster two QBs in a 12-man league? So if you're only able to start one quarterback, I almost never roster a backup QB. And I will say that it does depend on the league. If it was 14 teams or 16 teams and, you know, everybody in the league's grabbing a backup and it's deep benches, so there's really nothing on the waiver wire, then it would be different. But in a 12-team league, like you're saying, there's always going to be streamer options available on the waiver wire. And you should have at least one of the top 15 quarterbacks, I would say, after the draft on your team. So they're, those guys, the top 15 are all decent starters to one degree or another. And I would rather use that bench spot on, you know, another upside backup running back, like I mentioned in the last question, and then let the waiver wire be your backup quarterback. At J Spears 34, is it time to drop Antonio Gibson? I know you were optimistic on him before the season, but his week one production was so low. Samaj Pirine is available and thinking of dropping. I would definitely drop Gibson for Pirine. You know, if that's your only roster spot that you can get Pirine with, then for sure I would be dropping Gibson to get him. Gibson, he just took a complete backseat to Brian Robinson in the opener. And there's going to be games where it goes a little differently, where the commanders are getting beat and they have to pass more and be in catch-up mode. And at that point, I think Gibson would get an uptick in touches. And I think he would be involved more in the passing game. But Robinson has that backfield locked down right now. And he's even working into the passing game a little bit. So Gibson, just an insurance policy if Robinson gets hurt. And, you know, he doesn't have that flex appeal that I'd hoped that he would in this new offense. At Hardo Bill, how should you think about packaging multiple solid players, example, Brian Robinson, David Montgomery, Zay Flowers, together for a bigger single name? Can you only really find win-win trades when it's not within one position, example, one RB traded for a different RB? So two questions there. The first one, that's exactly what I want to do in trades. I want to build my roster up. I want to build my bench up with talent. And then I want to cash in by trading two or three solid players 
and getting one or two stars in return. And that's not always easy to do. I mean, you're trying to do the four quarters equal a dollar approach, and a lot of people aren't going to go for that. But it's a spot that tends to work best kind of early in the season. If you have a losing team in your league and they're really struggling and maybe they have injuries, you could step in, you could take one of their stars, and then you could give them, you know, two or three starters in return. That's the kind of move that could help you both. Your starting lineup gets better, but they also probably needed the help. So they get multiple starters back and that could make them more competitive. So yes, I love trades like that. As long as I'm on the side, that's getting the the single best player in the deal. And then the second question, it is hard to find a a win-win deal when you're trading two players at the same position and you're trading them for each other. You know, if they both turn out to be great, it's usually then it's just a wash. So technically that would be a win-win, but in that case, you rarely see those trades happen. And I can't think of the last time where I made a one-for-one deal with players at the same position like that. It happens more maybe in Dynasty when there's two managers who value guys differently or maybe their ages come into play when you're talking about Dynasty. But I feel like that's a thing that's far less frequent in redraft. For it to work out for both guys, it's normally players at two different positions. We're lumping two different questions together for the next one here. At Logan Baron 8 what should we do with Drake London in Dynasty? And at Cell underscore Art underscore Cell, will Kyle Pitts ever live up to his tight end one potential with the Falcons QB options? So this is one of the most frustrating situations in fantasy because both guys are awesome talents. They could both be superstars at their position. They're top 10 NFL picks. I don't know why you would spend that kind of capital on skill position players if you're not intending to use them the right way. And maybe it's just because they don't trust the quarterback, which is for good reason. Marcus Mariotti was brutal last year. So far, Desmond Ritter, he really hasn't been that much better. I mean, they did seem more willing to put the ball in the air when Ritter got out there in the final month last year, but that wasn't the case in week one. They had just 18 pass attempts. And to give you some context, I mean, everybody points to that Bears offense last year with Justin Fields and that they didn't throw very much. Well, even the Bears averaged 22 pass attempts per game. 18 is just incredibly low. So you would have liked to have seen some more improvement. You know, after you go through a full off season, you figure a player going into a second year that Ritter could step up a little bit. He didn't so far. And you'd like to have seen the coaching staff trusting him to make plays and putting the ball in his hands. Didn't seem like that was the case. So I'm not sure that the switch is just going to get flipped on for Ritter. I'm not sure that he's ever going to be the answer. And I think I said it earlier in the week, but I'm on Taylor Heineke watch. I'd be grabbing him in deep 2QB super flex leagues. I mean, he might get starts this year for the Falcons. As for your questions, though, Pitts is going to come through eventually, either when the Falcons get a real quarterback or when he leaves and goes to another team because the guy has all the talent in the world. He showed it with that thousand yard season as a rookie. It's embarrassing that they can't find ways to allow him to impact the game more. And the same goes for London. I mean, one target, no catches in week one. That cannot happen to a guy like him. He just can't be erased from the box score like that. He is too good. And I worry that this year it's going to be rough for both these guys because London came through last season, 72 catches, 866 yards, but Pitts was out for a big chunk of that year. If they both stay healthy, it's going to be hard to trust either of them. So if you can get solid value and you can reference my week two trade value charts for redraft leagues, you could look at the last version of my dynasty trade value charts from a week or two ago. You could do that for dynasty. If you can get equivalent value, I'd be trying to deal them because I think it's going to get worse before it gets better for both these guys at Zach underscore Herman thoughts on trading Jonathan Taylor for more immediate help 
or stick to using Jamal Williams, Samaj P. Ryan, Kenneth Gainwell, Zach Moss as my RB2 for three more weeks. This comes down to what kind of offers you have coming in or what kind of interest you're getting in the offers that you're throwing out. I'm guessing that everybody is just looking to lowball you and get Taylor on the cheap. You can't do that. So I would be fine rolling with that crew you have and just playing the best matchups each week. And hopefully you can win a game or two and then you'll get Taylor back in week five. And at this point, I think if he's back, I would expect it to be with a new team. And that would be kind of exciting if that does happen. Either way, I wouldn't do a fire sale. I would hold. I would try to make it to week five and then hope that he returns. And at that point, you would get a top 10 running back added to your lineup and the rest of the season could be a lot better for you. Bottom line, though, I think Taylor is going to play this year. I think it's going to be with a team other than the Colts. And that is all for today's show. Remember, the Thursday rankings update, that's been published. I'll update those again before tonight's game kicks off. I'll also have start, sit, stash, quit up on Friday. And I'll be back Friday again with another episode. We'll go over the injury updates and anything else that you might need to know before the weekend. But until then, big thanks for downloading and subscribing the show. Big thanks to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you next time. Said leave on time. My baby said leave on time Leave on time with me